kids can uh, head off to their uh, classroom for Sunday school. This morning, we are privileged to hear from Kevin Coghill. And for those who don't know, Kevin is one of the pastors at Royal City Mission who have been faithfully providing meals for those experiencing food and housing insecurity for years and years and years now. And they've become a vital mainstay in our downtown core, and they've been especially essential over the past couple of years. So Kevin, would you come on up as I pray for you? Lord, thank you for Kevin and his ministry here in Guelph. Thank you, that, uh, thank you for your word that you brought to his heart to share with us this morning. Open up our hearts and minds to the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, that we may hear with joy what you say to us today through Kevin. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Can hear me. This is nice to have people here. The last time I was here, there was nobody in the room with me. I was so lonely. It's good to be good to be here with you today. Um, I know everyone has already asked me about what's happening at Royal City, so I'm just going to do that quick so we can get out of the way. So prior prior to the pandemic, we knew that we were serving about 250 unique individuals on a regular basis, and at our last count, there's over a thousand. So. It has been crazy. Um, We are now serving two meals a day, lunch and supper, and we're open from 12 till 7.30, Monday to Saturday. And of course, we worship on Sunday. So uh, yeah, it's been uh, an incredible um, growth period, which is kind of bad, right? Like growth sometimes is good and sometimes growth is bad. Um, So we can really use your prayer. experiencing lots of, of drug addiction use and um, overdoses are, they get tiring and wearing on people. And so anyway, we need your prayer. Um, I know that food is coming and that is an answer to prayer. I loved the video. Thank you for all that you do for us. That's, that's incredible. I'm going to jump into the scripture this morning. So the, the scripture that I've chosen is from 2 Timothy. Uh, it's 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, sorry. But you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know that they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I'm going to read a portion of that again. But from the ISV, I I don't think I gave this to you at the back. So this is the International Standard Version. It's it's, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, I don't know how many of you know this about me, but... I consider myself an artist, not a pastor. I know that's funny. But my only post-secondary education comes in fine art. I was a fine art major in university. And I love imagery. I love comic books, and I love fine art. Love it. Any image. I, I actually focus most of what I do on images. 
Even my preaching or speaking, I think of in the same way. That preaching is really just painting a picture, but my colors are the words, right? We're painting pictures. Ruben Alves, Ruben Alves is a, a writer who wrote the book called I Believe in the Resurrection of the Body. And he said, the mouth is the prisoner of the eyes, tied down to the ground, lacking the words that would let it soar. It's true for me. Right? I can, if I can see the image of something, my mouth might be able to describe that thing. Although I'm aware that my words are always lacking. The way I talk about God is lacking. They don't paint the full picture. And this image of, of, that, we're talking, that I'm going to talk about today, God breathed, is something that has captured my imagination and my thoughts for a long time. What a beautiful image, right? God breathing life into dead things. Words are dead. Scripture is God-breathed. But not only words, God breathes his breath into matter, into dust, into dirt. And that image of God breathing comes right through the, all of the scriptures. In fact, the name that we say of God, God isn't really a name, it's more like a title, is Yahweh, which is itself breathing. Yahweh. In Genesis 1, we see God speaking into the darkness. And I know that the text doesn't say God breathed here, but think about this imagery. God opens up his mouth and exhales. And out come the stars the planets, earth and the sun, rivers and oceans, trees and the sky. And then in Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. He breathed the breath of life. I love the, the translation from the Septuagint. Um, same passage. And God formed the man of the, er, sorry, God formed the man from the dust of the earth and breathed upon his face the breath of life. Think about that imagery. He formed him and breathed upon his face the breath of life. So all of creation comes from God breath. All of it. But for some reason, human beings are centered out a little bit, right? He says that all of creation is built this way, and then he goes on to say he breathed the breath of life into humankind. It must be because we are forgetful that we had to be told again. Right? We forget that we ourselves carry the breath of God. And then we forget because we don't see it in ourselves, we don't see it in others. We forget that they're God-breathed. And then we do terrible things to ourselves. And we do terrible things to others. And so we need to be reminded. So I'm going to remind you this morning. You are God-breathed. And look beside you and say, you are God-breathed. Thanks, I didn't actually think you'd do that, but that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's yeah, amazing. Many, many translations don't use this, this word, God breathed. They instead have translated the word to inspired. And inspiration means to draw in a breath, 
which, which isn't a bad imagery. I, I'm not sure that it's as helpful as God breathing on us, right? N.T. Wright actually has some issues with this, this changing of the word from breathe to inspired, and I'll, I'll go through a couple of his points. He says that the word inspire means, usually means for us to achieve something beyond normal, as an inspired musician or an inspired artist that creates this beautiful, this beautiful piece of work. But he says the, the word that Paul uses in 2 Timothy means inbreathe, and it's more that there's already life in the words coming. He also says that we have this association with inspired that makes, it, makes us think that the author's minds go blank, and they just become dictation machines, and they just write the words that God gives them to them. And he says you only have to look at the lives of the authors to see how their personalities, their struggles, their jobs, and their personal problems come through. The other thing that he says is when people use the word inspired for the Bible, they assume that the writers knew the whole picture. But they absolutely didn't, right? I hope this doesn't blow your mind too much, but Paul wasn't thinking about the Bible when he wrote his letter to his buddy Tim. He was thinking when he was talking about scriptures, he was talking about the Old Testament scriptures. N.T. Wright wrote in his book, Paul for Everyone, once we set these misunderstandings aside, we should be able to see and celebrate the rich unity and diversity of the Bible and to use it for all it's worth in the many ways which Paul now encourages, or perhaps we should say to let it use us. The spirit who caused it to be written, who spoke through the different writers in so many ways, is as powerful today as ever, and that power through the written word can transform lives. So, As creation is God-breathed, so are people. They have life, and so do our sacred writings, right? Gathered up into a collection of story, history, poetry, song that we call the Bible. I love what N.T. Wright said there. He says, and use it for all it's worth. But then he goes on to say, no. Better yet, let it use us. I think that's a helpful distinction between inspired and God-breathed, right? When we try to use it, that is one thing. But when it tries to use us, or when we allow it to use us, now that is a beautiful image. I agree with Mr. Wright. Not that Tom needs my, my agreement, right? But doesn't anybody else find it incredibly strange that God uses people to write Scripture? or to use us for anything. Like if you think about the story, God puts us in the, God creates this beautiful garden, puts people in it, has these trees, says don't eat that one. And what do people do? They eat it, wouldn't you? I, I would, I, I guarantee I would eat that. I know I would. Ask my mom. <laughs> and then they go, they kill each other, they lie to each other, They harm each other, they harm the earth, they enslave each other, they oppress people, and then God comes up with this great plan. I know. I'm going to get these people who can't get it right to write the words of life. To breathe my message into you. In my mind, God's message was already alive. It was written. It was, it was spoken as, as uh, Justin read, read this morning in Psalm 119, but they spoke without words. 
but he wanted people to participate. You know, if God wanted it done well, this is one job he should have outsourced. This God who breathes life into us, though he longs for us to participate in his breath. He invites us into his story. That God includes humans to write his story. Imperfect people that eat of the tree they're not supposed to. People with imperfect language. To speak of something that is so far beyond words is incredible. That's kind of a beautiful image to reflect on, isn't it? God uses imperfect humans to share his story. Unfortunately, we often take things that are full of life and turn them to death. In John 5, 39 to 40, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Jesus is speaking to those, those religious leaders there. He's, they know those words. He knows they know, know the words of Scripture. Yet they miss who Jesus is and what the words are all about. They miss the point. They miss words of life, the God-breathed words, words that were eventually used to kill the one that the words pointed to. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul writes, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Paul knew that we were capable of taking angelic language and using it without love. And that even heavenly language, God-breathed words, could be useless or even harmful without God-breath. I watched a, an incredible show recently. Don't judge me for this. It's on Netflix. It's called Midnight Mass. Anybody, anybody seen this? You don't, yeah, okay, we got one. Nobody else is willing. Confessional is later. <laughs> if you're like, no, it's okay. And there are two things that I loved about this series. The first is that it's a vampire show. I love vampire shows, and I know that's strange, but I also have to clarify that Twilight is not a vampire show. It is not. But the, the thing that was incredible about this show was the amount of scripture that is quoted. It's, it's un unbelievable. The show must be a commentary on how people have used words of life, these God-breathed words, and then used them to lead to death. You know, I found the gore and the violence of this show to pale in comparison to that, using God-breathed words that led to death getting people to do awful things. But this is actually part of our history, right? If you read the Doctrine of Discovery, do you know what that is, the Doctrine of Discovery? Yes, colonialization, right? The Doctrine of Discovery is itself based on words of life that they used for death. Still used in some ways. But the reality is that many of these things these things that caused death were just people thinking themselves better than others. Thinking that they were right, that they were justified, that they were God-breathed. 
but their words led to death. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So let us no longer use words that should be God-breathed. Let's not let them, let's not let them be used for death. Unless it's the death of our ego, of sin, of our power, of our privilege. Paul tells us that these God-breathed words can teach us. And for us to learn, we do usually have to die to something. To an idea, to a preconception, to an image. These are all kind of exterior things, or interior things, right? We allow the words to form us, to, to prune ourselves. But we should not use these words as weapons. They can be turned inward to cut away our sinful nature, but they should not be turned outward to hurt others, to hate or to harm. When we do that, we go against the very nature of Christ who laid down his life, who didn't use violence, but forgiveness as the solution. So how can we read scripture if it's been abused for so long? I think we have to approach our sacred writings with humility. Right? Knowing that we are small, that we are dirt, and we're God-breathed. This is my whole thought on human nature. We are two things. We are God-breathed and we are dirt. I don't think that's bad. I think it's a good thing, actually. But we can search for life in the scriptures, right? It's not always easy to do. There are many parts of scripture that we struggle with that don't look like Jesus. There are many things that seem to lead to death. And maybe the writers, just like us, were stumbling around in the dark, searching for the right words. And that's why Jesus came in the flesh, right? The word of God came flesh. So our image of God must be renewed again and again in Jesus. He says this himself. After he's risen, he walks down the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 27. He says, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. If we use scripture to enforce power dynamics, they become death. Jesus gave up his power. He humbled himself to be born in a stable, unable to speak, dependent on his parents to teach him words and to change him. And if we use scripture to war against or judge people who are not like this, they become words of death. And Jesus says, love your enemy. And he says, I have not come to judge, but to lay down my life. The scriptures point to Jesus. The God-breathed words point to the word, who is in fact the one who created all things, as it says in 1 John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men and the light shine in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In him was life. In him is life. God breath. 
his life, our life. This, this is mystery. This is beauty. And the light shone in the darkness, but the darkness did not know it. In his book, All Things Beautiful, Chris Green says, for Christians, to be human is to be gifted and tasked with the capacity for taking what is, transfiguring it, and making a gift of that transfiguration to God and neighbor. Beautiful image. If we open our eyes to the beauty of God breath, we see how it is woven into all of creation, all of our continued existence, the work of our hands, the love of neighbor, and even in our faith. I want you to picture communion with me this morning, right? We're going to be taking communion. What are the elements that we use? Bread and wine. Both of these elements require God and human. I find that interesting. Could have been grain and grapes. It's not, right? Wheat comes from God. It's not something we can make. Anybody here know how to make grain? You can grow it. Can't make it. Right? We can't even produce the rain that makes it grow. We can take rain and use it to make it grow. We can't cause the sun to rise on it to help it to grow. But we can grind it. We can add oil and yeast and water. And we can make bread. Grapes also come from God. Anybody here have a grape factory at home making grapes? No, right? It's a gift through creation. We cannot make them, but we can take the grapes, we can take off our shoes and socks, and we can jump around on them and make juice that ferments and becomes wine. I find it incredibly important that the gifts of, or the elements of communion are joint efforts. God created, human transformed. God, God breath for us probably seems incredibly special and rare. And I do think it is extremely sacred and special, but I don't think it's rare. Look all around you. This room is full of God breath. Look outside, look at your garden. God breath. When we finally see God's breath in all of creation, we will care for it in a way that honors God's life. When we see God breath in the person in front of us, we will love our enemies and we will long to know them and him better. In John 20, 22, Jesus says, it says, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus reminds his followers of the creation by breathing on them. Here's God breath. And we too need to be reminded of our God breath so that the God breath in us recognizes the God breath in others and the God breath in our scripture. Right? We point to life in the scriptures and we participate in life with the giver of breath and we share God breath with others. My challenge is that we, can we see God? Can we see God breath in ourselves? I don't think that until we can see God breath in ourselves, we can see it in others. And I'm not sure that until we see God breath in others that we can see God breath in ourselves. It's not one or the other. 
And I don't think it matters if they know that they have God breath. It's not for them to, it's for us to find out, not them. And maybe then we can share about the God breath we've seen in them. But can we find God breath in words? If they point to the word of God, the image of God made flesh, then we will find life within them. This is my prayer for the church. Not just court, right? The church, right? That we would see God breath all around us. That we would not forget that God breathed on us and breathed on his words, breathed in all of creation. That we would breathe it in. That we would exhale it. And that all the world would see it.